I remember um, in, in high school, one person invited me to a church event. And this young man, he was a fellow basketball player. He was actually a drug dealer. I didn't know that when I was hanging out with him. He, he told me that later on. He was dealing a lot of drugs on the side, making good money, which explains the nice clothes and the car he was driving and all of that. And he said, hey, Mike, why don't we go hang out at a place called the Eagle's Nest? We were the Crowley Eagles. That was our school. He said, let's go hang out at the Eagle's Nest. They had a pool table and a ping pong table and just a nice little hangout for, for students, for high school students. We went there and we played ping pong for about an hour. Now, I could play me some ping pong. Toffle tennis, sorry. Toffle tennis. I, I can play me some ping pong. I enjoy that. Not one time did he ever talk to me about Jesus. He never mentioned God's name. He never asked me about my soul. He never showed me a Bible. Now, granted, I will give him this much. He, he was trying to develop somewhat of a rapport, a relationship, so that he could bring up the subject of, are you saved? I know this because years later he told me that was his plan. But in that moment, he wasn't quite sure how to explain what he wanted to say. Now, he knew this. He was a drug dealer. He was a horrible guy. I mean, a chief of sinners kind of a man. And he had gotten saved. And now, in the best way he knew how to do it, he was trying to communicate that to others. He just didn't know how. But he knew there are people all around me that are drawn unto death. There are people going down the same path of sin that are heading towards a devil's hell and they need somebody to try to reach them. Now, think about this. If, if you have EMT training, you understand, emergency medical training, and, and you're able, you see an accident, I think anybody that watches an accident happen is obliged to stop and see what they can do. But if you have medical training, doesn't it make sense that you are even more obliged to stop and to get involved and say, hey, some, somebody could perhaps be losing their life. Let's stop and see what we can do. As Bible-believing Christians, and I know to whom I speak tonight, many of you, you're our Sunday evening crowd. You're, you're the folks that come all the services, that type of thing. You know your Bible. I know there might be some exceptions here tonight, but you know the Lord. You know your Bible. You know how to explain the gospel to somebody. You know, you are a qualified spiritual EMT. <laughs> you have training. If somebody asks you, tell me please how I can know that I'm saved. I, I would like to think that most of you in the room could tell that person, here's how you can know for sure that you have eternal life. Now, by the way, if you don't know how to do that, we'd love to help you learn. We'd love to give you those skills. So that when you find somebody that is drawn unto death, and they're heading down that wrong path, that spiritual death, you can stop them and say, hey, I see something dangerous happening here. Let me help. Let me help. Look at James chapter 5 and verse number 19. James 5 and 19, James closes his epistle with this. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. We are able to save somebody from death, and not just physical death. I think of the Good Samaritan. I, most of you are familiar with that story. Here's this man that was heading down from Jericho to Jerusalem, and he falls among thieves, and they beat him, leaving him half dead. That explains a lost person. Physically alive, spiritually dead, they're half dead. And there he is, no help, no man cares for his soul. A, a priest walks by, 
And what does the priest do? He looks and passes by on the other side. The Levite walks by, checks it out, passes by on the other side. And finally, a Samaritan, who most people would think is the last one that would stop to help a Jew, he actually draws nigh and says, what's going on? Picks him up, put him on the beast, carries him to the inn, and he saves that soul, that, that person from death. And I fear that too many times we are aware that there are lost people all around us. We know this as a biblical truth, right? I mean, church, can we say amen to that, that you know there are lost people around you? Amen? You know that? But, but what are we doing about those lost people constantly passing us by? Now, I'm aware of the fact that it is logistically impossible for you as one person to reach every single soul that goes by you. I, I get that. But back in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 11, if thou forbear to deliver them that are drawn unto death and those that are ready to be slain, this is a situation that you know about. This is an opportunity that has presented itself to you. There is really no good excuse for not getting involved to whatever extent you can. If that's handing them a gospel track, inviting them to church, or sometimes if the Lord allows asking them that question, sorry, I, I, I have a burden on my heart. I'd just like to ask you, if, if something happened and you died today, are you 100% sure you go to heaven? But doing something about the lost world around us. It says in verse 12, if thou sayest, behold, we knew it not. He, he said, we knew it not. Now look at that verse carefully, verse 12. If thou sayest, that's first person singular, thou, yay, yo, that's, that's one man. If thou sayest, behold, we knew it not. That's something in all these years I've read this proverb, I've never noticed this, the, the singular, it switches to a first person plural. You know what we often say? Yes, there's somebody dying, there's somebody that's hurting, suffering, and I could do something about it, but the reason I'm not getting involved is because I'm busy with some other people right now. With, I got plans with my friends, with my family, I'm busy with my stuff, and yes, there's this opportunity, but I just don't have time to get involved. He says, if thou sayest, behold, we knew it not, Doth not he that pondereth the heart consider it? I've for years and years preached about being a soul winner, preaching the gospel. I've tried to encourage people and tried to exhort them and even a gentle push and a nudge to say, hey, come on, let's get out there and reach the lost. Let's go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Let's go into the highways and hedges and to the streets and lanes exactly as Jesus taught us to do. And I've, I've got to find a nice balance here because I want to continually remind you of your biblical responsibility to share the gospel with people. And yet, at the same time, I can't, I can't do this only by pushing you because then you'll be out there against your will and we're going to be counterproductive. And I've, I've thought about this when I looked at these verses and prayed about it this week. This verse speaks to a, a person or a group that is just not concerned about the people that are hurting around them. Now, here, here's the kicker. How do you get them concerned? How do you do it? Do, do you, I, I don't know of any way that I can just say a magic word or give you a story that flips a switch in you and says, now you're going to be concerned. There's no one, two, three program for that. 
All we can do is present to you the eternal truth about that lost soul and say this is their condition. And hopefully you take a long enough look at that and say, you know what, that's sad. And who's going to do something about it? Human nature is to point to the person next to you and say, well, I don't have as much training as it. Let him do it. Let her do it. What about you? Because verse 12, if thou sayest, that's first person say, that's you. I'm not talking to the whole church. I'm talking to you, to you, to you. What's your excuse for not stopping to try to help that person suffering from spiritual death? Because in verse 12, doth not he that pondereth the heart consider it? You realize who you have to answer to for this. God is the one who knows your heart. He knows why you weren't concerned enough to stop and at least try. He knows. As I have tried to exhort people and stir them up and let's go preach the gospel, boy, there are a lot of reasons slash excuses for why people don't want to get involved. And I, I am done trying to figure out which one of these are reasons and which ones are excuses. And I, I don't know. I'm going to leave that between you and the Lord. All I know is that one day God is going to ask you this question. And it's going to be a, a scary day to see the people that God brought your way and you had a chance. I had a chance. But we were so busy with our set plans that we thought were so important that we couldn't be distracted or change our schedules to make time to go looking for lost souls. Just this week, a young teenager, I say a young teenager, a teenager was riding his bike down this road right in front of our church, and a delivery truck hit him. I heard it. I went out of the office a few minutes after it had happened. The emergency vehicles were on the scene. And the the, the uh, the, emergent, the EMT guys, they were already helping him. There was nothing I can do to step in and say anything. He was unconscious. His hips completely bent out of shape. His bicycle was wrapped around our church sign to an extent. Could you imagine, could you imagine, folks, if that horrible thing, that tragic accident happens to a young man, what would you think of our community if people were to just keep driving by and not stop and try to help? A lady that used to come to church here years ago, she's just recently moved back to Potch, she was actually one of the first people to see it happen. She immediately ran over and started making calls and look at this bicycle and call the bicycle shop and find out who's the parent and immediately we spring to action. Why? Because right there in front of her, she could see this is a horrible situation. Maybe we just need to be reminded of how tragic it is to be lost. So I, I rarely do this, but I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 51. Because as I said, I don't know how, what can I say, what can I do to trigger compassion, to make you care? I, I can't force you to care, otherwise it's not actually you caring. So maybe this will stir something in you. Isaiah chapter 51. And while you're finding that, can I just also say, I, I know, I know, there's always more work to do when it comes to lost souls, right? We're never going to be done with the job of evangelism. There's always lost people to give the gospel to. 
And church, I, I do. I'm blessed by your zeal for lost souls. Many of you are constantly involved in getting the gospel out. And it is greatly encouraging. So please don't, don't take all of my comments to, today to say, you know, I'm frustrated in some way. I just want to see more people enter the, labor, uh, enter the field, the harvest field, as a laborer for God. So I'm trying to encourage those of you that maybe aren't busy in God's fields, trying to bring in the sheaves, to do a little bit more, to deliver those that are drawn unto death. What a blessing. Yesterday, what were we? 20 people, 25 people on a Saturday morning. We headed out into the, into the built area, giving the gospel to how many dozens of people. Thursday, we were about, what, 10, I think, something like that. The Saturday before, we're also about 20, 25 of us. That's, an, that's greatly encouraging. And I know many of you, it's, it's not just a Saturday morning event for you. Throughout the week, you're looking for opportunities. Any time that you can talk about your Savior, you do. So I, I want to provoke the rest of you to love and to good works by telling you those stories to say there are people that do stop, that recognize the urgency of somebody suffering in sin. Isaiah 51, verse 1, God says, Hearken to me, ye that follow after righteousness, ye that seek the Lord. Look unto the rock whence ye are hewn. That means you were cut out of it. And to the hole of the pit whence ye are digged. So on occasion, God will do this. He'll say, look back to where I brought you from. So folks, just look back for a minute. Look, look back in your life before you knew the gospel. Before you knew the Lord personally. Before you could answer with confidence and say, I know that I have eternal life, and it's not because of anything good I've done, it's because of what Jesus did for me on the cross. Can you remember the hopelessness that you had in those days? Can you remember the spiritual darkness you wandered around in? I remember laying in my bed, I had gone out and had a horrible night of sin. I'm, at the time, I thought it was some great thing. While I was doing it, boy, I thought, this is the life. Five minutes after I left my friends, I got in my vehicle, and after I got in my car, went to the house, the burden of guilt and sin just pressed down on my heart like an elephant sitting on my chest. I laid in my bed. I couldn't sleep a wink because I knew if I died right now, I'm going straight to hell. After what I did, there's no doubt. I laid there. I had glow-in-the-dark rosary beads hanging on my wall. For those of you that have any idea what Catholics are like, that's a prayer chain, a prayer, prayer beads that you use. I had glow-in-the-dark rosary beads, so I didn't have to have them in my hands. I could look, look at them on the wall glowing at me. I laid there and prayed for about three or four hours. And it didn't help at all. Because I didn't know the Lord. My sins weren't washed away. Praying a rosary doesn't take away your sins. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse you from that. I remember how awful it felt to try to go to sleep that night, to barely sleep, wake up the next day, and think, I am no more right with God than I was last night. I would do anything to know that I'm saved. I even, on another occasion, stupid night of sin, I felt so bad, I got into my, what Americans call a pickup truck. I think you guys would call it a baki, I'm sure. So I got into my pickup truck and I drove straight to the church. I didn't even go home. Straight to the Catholic church where I was a member of. And I ran, I ran from the door of my bucky 
to the front door of that church. And I, all I wanted to do, in every Catholic church, they have what's called a tabernacle. It's a small box that they hide away behind the altar. And in there, they keep the elements, the wine. and well, Often it's just the bread. Sometimes they keep the wine in there as well. They lock it up. You can't have wine just sitting around. <laughs> but, but we were taught that God's presence lives in that box. So I thought, okay, I've had this horrible night. I want to rush to that church and fall down before the tabernacle and see if I can't draw nigh to God. I grabbed a hold of those front doors of that church, and they were locked. And I stood there just rattling those doors, rattling those doors, trying to get to God, and I couldn't get to God. My soul was drawn unto death. Do you know how many people tried to tell me the gospel? None. I went to a church camp just a few months after that. Big, massive church camp, Catholics, Baptists, Presbyterians, Anglicans, every, you know, all the flavors were there. It was a Dawson McAllister church camp, and this guy preached about getting saved, and I didn't really understand much of it because we never talked about that in our church. And he said, if you want to get saved, come on down. Hundreds of us kids, there were thousands of us there, hundreds of us went forward. And, and I got to the front and the altar worker said, young man, do you want to get saved? Yes. He said, well, go talk to your Catholic youth, youth pastor. So I went and sat cross-legged on a mat in the gymnasium, face-to-face -face with my youth pastor. And he said, so what seems to be the problem? I said, well, I don't think my life is very good. I don't think God would accept me. And he said, well, just, just keep doing the best you can. You'll be all right. No gospel. I'd already been trying to do what I could. I've been rattling the doors of the church trying to get to God. Couldn't get to God. Because you can't get to God doing it like that. No man comes to the Father but through Jesus Christ. Not through a church. Nobody would share the gospel with me until one day, at the age of 20, somebody knocked on my door. You see, it's not like I was in the street dying. He was out looking for people that were hurting. <laughs> He had his spiritual medical equipment with him, gospel tracts and a Bible, saying, I'm ready to perform surgery. <laughs> I got my sharp two-edged sword. I can cut the sin out and put the Holy Spirit in. We can, we can, we can put eternal life into this man, transplant. <laughs> he knocked on that door and he said, sir, if you died today, you're 100% sure you go to heaven? I didn't have a good answer. We talked for two hours. He gave me the gospel. And he said, how about you come to church if you'd like to hear more? I said, I'd like that. Next Sunday, we, my wife and I were in church. We'd, we had been married for five days when he knocked on our door. I promise you, if he hadn't knocked on that door, we wouldn't, our marriage wouldn't have made it. Because of me, mainly. So when God sent that man to knock at the door, it wasn't just me personally heading down spiritual, uh, a, a spiritually destructive path. Every part of my life was going to be affected until somebody stopped and said, I care about what's going on with this guy. Let me show some concern. Could you do that? Would you do that? You. Would you do it? You, your friends. Would you talk to them? I guarantee you can reach your friends better than I could. There's a good chance they'll listen to you where they won't listen to me. God help you Afrikaners. When an American shows up in South Africa and tries to preach the gospel in Afrikaans, and here you are, you guys got that language, why aren't you telling them in Afrikaans? Why are you leaving that to me? You don't want to hear me do it. <laughs> I'm not even sure that's the gospel coming out. 
<laughs> but think back to that day when you were lost in your sin. And when Jesus lifted you up out of it, aren't you glad that somebody came by your way and told you how to be saved? Wasn't that a good day? When somebody explained the gospel and then finally the lights came on and you went, that's what I've been missing. That's what I want. That's what I need. Come back to Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 24. Let's just, one more quick thought here before we take a break in in Proverbs 24 verse 12 if thou sayest behold we knew it not we knew it not so the people that could help didn't know it but I want to add on to that I think that there are people that are drawn unto death and they don't even know they're drawn unto death they don't even know it after I got saved I started preaching in youth prisons in underage prisons ages 7 to 17 the worst of the worst. I was preaching to a five and a, a, a six and a seven-year-old boys that had raped their five-year-old sister. I was preaching to a 15-year-old who led the entire drug cartel for the city where we lived. 15. I was preaching to a, I think, 16, 17-year-old. He'd murdered his parents with a hammer in their bed. I mean, these are some rough kids. Rough kids. I'm talking to kids seven, eight, nine, mixed up in drugs and pornography and crime and all sorts of horrible stuff. And some of those kids, their heart was so soft, they knew they needed help. They knew, I'm, I'm, my life is shot. And we saw some of those kids get saved, and after they got out of prison, they'd come to church, get baptized, get discipled, and praise God. It was exciting. But I saw a number of those kids. When you preach to them, you know what they do? They would just sit there, just dead face the whole service. You know why they sat there? Because they had nothing else to do in prison. It was, it was a break in the day. And then when you said, now what about you? Are you going to do anything with Jesus Christ? <laughs> they would just laugh at you. You know what the problem is? They don't realize they're drawn unto death. They don't see just how seriously bad that situation is. We need to see that for them. We have to be eyes to the blind we have to be able to bring that truth to them and enlighten them on that and it's not just kids in prison I've sat next to bedsides of elderly people riddled with whatever disease is afflicting them and every now and again you'll sit next to one of them and they'll talk to you try to talk to them about the gospel and they'll talk about politics you'll try to bring up the gospel and they say, well, let's talk about my grandkids. You try to talk about Jesus, and they'll just talk about their, their past life in the army or something, just dodging the question. And they won't accept the fact that I don't have much longer. But when you really press them on it and say, now, sir, Tani, um, what about Jesus? You're going to stand soon before the judgment. What are you going to say? Oh, preacher, I'll think about that when I get there. They just don't realize how serious that is. We have to realize that for them. I cannot make them concerned. I can't make them see it. But I can at least remind them of it and ask them to reconsider it again and again. In verse 12, it says at the end, He that keepeth thy soul doth not he know it. 
and shall not he render to every man according to his works. God is going to reward you one way or the other. For those of you that are actively looking to get the gospel to lost people, there's a special crown waiting for, for you in heaven. It's the crown of rejoicing. Can you imagine how sweet it's going to be one day when you get up to heaven and somebody walks up behind you, taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, you remember me? You say, I'm sorry, I, the face vaguely, but who, who are you? Well, I'm so-and-so. You gave me a gospel track. You shared the gospel with me. You invited me to church. I know we, our, our paths, our lives drifted apart after that. I moved off here. You went off there. But I just want you to know, as a result of what you said, I thought about my soul, I thought about Jesus, and I got saved. And I'm here today because you tried. Now, you talk about rejoicing. Folks, praise God. That'll make a South African shout amen. <laughs> That's going to be a good day. But the flip side to that coin is some of you are going to get to heaven and no one's going to tap you on the shoulder. You made it, but you made it alone. And the Lord will render to every man according to his works. I'll leave you with this thought tonight. When I was in Bible school, my pastor, he was 77 when I started school. He was 80 when I graduated. At 80 years old, Dr. Ruckman would say this, and, and I believe if somebody would have taken him up on it, he would have done it. During the invitation after the sermon, he would say, if, there any, if there's anybody here that is not saved, if you want to see how serious I am about this, he said, you raise your hand, I will crawl on my hands and knees to where you're at so I can tell, tell you how to get saved. Now here's an 80-year-old man, and if you knew Dr. Ruckman, you knew he'd do it. Do, do, you, do you hear the desperation, the urgency in that man's what the zeal? Whatever it takes to reach a lost soul. They may not see it as being that important, but as somebody who's already been saved, you know it's that important. So as you go through this week, just be mindful of these Proverbs, these two verses from Proverbs today. To say, I have an obligation. When the opportunity arises, when I cross paths with somebody that's drawn unto death, I can share the gospel with them and perhaps, perhaps bring life where death was. Ask God for that opportunity. Let's all stand, if you would, please. In just a moment, we'll pray. We have Bible school in about 10 minutes, so after we pray, you're welcome to take a bit of a break. Anybody that would like to attend Bible school, you're welcome to sit in on the class. But if you're not going to come to class, you're welcome to just fellowship for a while and enjoy some time together. Father, we thank you tonight for what we've seen in the Scripture. And we do pray, Lord, that you'd help us to stay busy about the Father's business and Lord, we understand your business out there in that harvest field. Lord, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. I pray you might raise up some more laborers. I pray you'd encourage the laborers that are here in this church. And I know that God, so many of them do what they can with the gospel. Help us, Father, to be faithful to that. Remind us of how good it is to be saved and how wonderful it was that somebody came to us. Lord, thank you for coming to seek and to save that which is lost. Bless our time now in Bible school. And Father, the others that are heading home, have your hand upon them. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, you folks take a break. Lord willing, we'll see you in the Bible school room here in a few minutes.